0: Tonight's scripture reading comes from Isaiah chapter 58, reading verses 3 through 12. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting you do as you please, and you exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife, and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for a person to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed, and for laying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke? To set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rearguard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing of fingers, with malicious talk... And if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild their ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. And you will be called the repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. This is the word of our Lord. You'll notice next in the order of service, it says, meditation, silent reflection. And I believe that is my punishment for not giving a title to my meditation. so you'll forgive me for not allowing you this time of silent reflection and instead offering a meditation on this God's word. Let's pray together. God, you call us out of things that we think are right toward new things that you know are right. And so we thank you for this word from the prophet Isaiah, and we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive your word for us this evening, and that you would speak directly to us and reveal to us the kind of fast that you desire of us this season and in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, I was listening to a song that has these words in the chorus, and it's a country song, so forgive my grammar for the next two sentences, but the song says, it don't matter how long we're here, it's never going to be long enough. It don't matter if you're 1845 or 91, everybody dies young. And having been thinking about the service this evening, it struck me in a way that it never really had before. That this, song, this songwriter had stumbled across this deep theological truth that goes well beyond the meaning of his song, probably without even realizing it. The truth that everybody dies young. This is certainly a strange claim to make in a culture that talks about dying of old age and having lived a good long life, we certainly don't seem to think that everybody dies young. In fact, it seems to us that many people die at the right time. That the words of the teacher from Ecclesiastes ring out true, that there is a time to be born and a time to die. But this sort of dichotomous, the young live and the old die reality, is something that we've been trained to live within, taught to think about our world. And while some of us might find ourselves closer to one end of the spectrum or the other, we really have bought in that this is the story of this world. But the reality of the kingdom of God offers a different story. A story that suggests that everybody dies young because in God's kingdom there is to be no death and no dying. In fact, Isaiah 65 verse 20 has this vision for God's new creation. When it says, No more shall there be an infant that lives but a few days, or an old person who does not live out a lifetime. For one who dies at a hundred will be considered but a youth." and one who falls short of a hundred will be considered accursed. In the season of Lent, we begin the practice of intentionally turning toward the cross, of journeying with Jesus toward Jerusalem and the fate that he knew was waiting for him. And in that journey, we don't only turn to Jesus' cross and death, but we also turn to our own. We are mindful that we are facing no better fate or future than Jesus did. We confront our own mortality, even as Jesus confronted his own. We wrestle with what it means to live as a people in this time between the inauguration of God's kingdom and the day when it will be fully known and realized, when there will be no more death or dying. Until that day, we know we will die, that everybody, that everybody will die, that in fact everybody will die young because they've died at all. We've set this reality of our death before us in order to acknowledge that it has no power over us, that we live in the life of Christ and look forward to that kingdom where all death is overcome. And with this full knowledge of our young and all too short lives, We can refocus our efforts not on avoiding death, not on stuffing our faces or hoarding away in larger and larger storehouses, but we can focus again on living that life which is living well. Lent offers us the gift of a reminder of life well lived. Today's reading from Isaiah is the cry of a religious community to God concerning why all their religiosity had amounted to nothing. And God's response is calling the people back to well-lived lives. We can hear in the words of God's people their dismay. Why do we fast but you don't see? Why do we humble ourselves but you don't notice? Why are we bothering with all this religious stuff? If it's not going to sway your favor, God... Are you not even paying attention to us? In the following verses, we can imagine God spinning those same questions back at the Israelites. Why are you fasting? Why are you putting ashes and sackcloth on if you're just going to go on living the way you always have? What's the point? What do you expect to come of all this? God was not interested in the fasting of the Israelites if food didn't make it to the mouths of the hungry. He wasn't interested in wailing and mourning if they continued to cause those beneath them to wail and to mourn. In our practices of Lent and of the Christian faith, I think we can see some semblance of the same pattern of behavior. I know that for myself, growing up, um, we were told to give up chocolate for Lent. Is that something that resonates? Yeah, giving up chocolate. And I didn't get it. Why is God so interested in me giving up chocolate for this random period of time? What good does it do me, and what good does it do God? Because as soon as Easter comes, I'm binging on chocolate again. What's the change? What's the difference? Why? How does it help God? Even tonight, we may be asking ourselves these same questions. Why are we going to put ashes on our foreheads? Why are we going to do whatever fast we may have chosen for ourselves over these coming days? Why are we confessing and mourning? What's to come of all of this? Fasting is an important part of the Christian life. Ashes are a key symbol that remind us of something important about ourselves and about this world we're living in. But they're both worthless if they don't produce some change in us, if we don't use them as tools to turn toward the cross, to turn away from our lives of indulgences and self-soothing, of eagerly chasing after whatever good we may want at the expense of other people, to legitimately turn our lives toward our deaths, to put on Jesus, as we've been talking about in our series on Ephesians, to become transformed by a life well-lived. If there isn't that follow-through, we're right to be questioning our actions this season, because I think we see in this text that God is questioning our actions too. God reorients our religiosity. Our Lenten fasts and the ashes on our foreheads. He turns these things and points them toward the good life well lived. He says, is this not the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the cords of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your houses? when you see the naked, to cover them and not to hide yourself from your kin. Lent is certainly about the cross. It's about death. But it's also about the cross-shaped life. About death to ourselves and to our own desires. It's about learning to die as Jesus died so that we can live as Jesus lived. This is not a lesson we learn well. It's not a lesson we learn quickly or easily. It's a lesson which we forget pretty often. And so to have this season every year where we practice it again and remind ourselves again is important in our walks of faith. To turn ourselves and put to death certain things and look with earnest toward that good new life that Jesus offers to us. We fast so others can know the joy of the feast. We mourn so others can see their mourning turned into shouts of joy. If these things don't follow our fast, what good is it? What good is our mourning? This truth that everybody dies young spurs us on to live and to die well. To consider our lives in the context of working with God to reveal a new kingdom with a new kind of life offered to all. And Lent urges us to live in that new reality with the time that we have, to acknowledge our mortality and to seek to point toward God's coming kingdom in as many moments of our lives as possible until it is revealed in its fullness. Should we choose to die to ourselves in our living, to fast for the sake of the hungry, or to fast from media and to turn our attention toward the many people and things which need our attention much more, then God promises that he will hear us, that he will hear us when we cry and we won't suffer alone. And in the person of Jesus Christ and the experience of God's Holy Spirit, we see the fulfillment of these promises. God speaks these promises during our fasting and our mourning. If you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom will be like the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in. This practice of turning to the cross, of leaning into death for ourselves so that the world can experience life, it's difficult. This text acknowledges that there will be darkness and there will be gloom, that there will be parched places and your bones will need strengthening. God's not pretending that that's not true. But He reassures us that He will guide us through this, that He will satisfy our needs. This text knows that there are ruins of our lives that we have individually and ruins that we have as a community that need rebuilding. And it promises that God will do that. And it promises us that the life well lived, lived in the kind of religion that God desires, that this life lays the foundation for many generations who will look back, who will look back and remember who will point back and say, this community, this community died to themselves, and they put on Jesus Christ, and they repaired a great breach. They made this place a better place to live, and a better place to work, and a better place to play. This community lived a life well-lived because they shaped their lives a lot like the cross. They bore death daily, knowing that they would die all too soon, and trusting that there is good life to live now and a better life promised to us in God's care. We set this vision of the good life before us, marked by the death of Christ, and we choose to turn back to God once more today and in the coming season. We choose once again in this season of the church year to die to ourselves for the sake Of the work that God is doing in this world. And when we do these things, we have no doubt that God will be our guide because Jesus Christ has gone before us, and this is the way of his life and death and new life. So, brothers and sisters, it is no mistake that we mark ourselves with ashes because we all die young. And it's no mistake that those ashes take the form of a cross. Because the cross of Jesus Christ is the way of our lives and the promise of our death and life to come. We remember that we are dust. And we remember that we're returning to dust. And we remember that in that brief in-between time, God has offered to us his life. He's invited this dust into his life. If we'll only turn away from our lives... As well. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray together. Creating God, you made us out of the dust of the earth and promised that we would return to that dust. And in that in-between, you offer us good life. And you point toward good life to come. And so we pray that you would continue to paint pictures of good life well-lived. That other people might join in this joyful life of dust until your kingdom is made real and full in our presence again. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.